Welcome to the Azure Podcast, a weekly podcast to keep you up to date on what's new on our cloud platform, Microsoft Azure. Your hosts, Cynthia Crane, Evan Basilic, Suji DeMello, Kenno Roden, Kel Teeter, and Russell Young discuss a different service or solution on each show with subject matter experts to explain how to get started, how different services work, and how to make decisions in tricky scenarios. You can find out more about our podcast at azpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Well, welcome back to the Azure Podcast. This is episode number 480 being recorded on the 1st of December, 2023. Today we have uh, Mark Eisenberg, our special guest, who's joining us uh, on a kind of like a panel discussion on all the news uh, that uh, came out of Ignite. Uh, there's actually a website called The Book of News, which they produce every year around this time. And uh, that's the one that we'll just quickly go over to see all the Azure-specific updates that are of interest to our listeners uh, and uh, get them caught up on everything. So this is going to be an all news and some opinion from uh, Mr. Eisenberg, you know, who, who, who always has opinions on, every, on everything Azure-related. Uh, <laughs> all right, so um, we, we, let's go dive right into it because it's all about the news, right? And uh, we can start with some of the uh, the AI services, uh, which I think fair to say uh, that's the 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 big kahuna this year is the AI services. Everything's AI. Yeah, we should break uh, away AI on everything, man. <laughs> no, there's a, there's actually a lot of good stuff here uh, with AI. I'll get through some of these updates here. Um, obviously, the AI offering has expanded quite a bit from the our initial stuff with Azure Machine Learning, uh, with the Copilot stuff and all the different integration into different Azure services. So I'll kind of go through these quickly because there's a lot, as Sajid said, AIs. Uh, quite hot right now from a technology standpoint. So from an update perspective, you know, looking at the, the actual machine learning platform that we've had before uh, in Azure, um, there's been some enhancements to that to include things like uh, prompt flow that allow, you know, developers who are working on, you know, LLM workflows and designing these kind of things along with the prompts and, and the tooling that goes along with that, like our CLI SDKs and things like that. So there's a thing called prompt flow uh, that's now GA. Um, so I assume that was in preview before, but it's actually GA and machine learning now. And it's in preview in the AI Studio tool. Um, there's a model catalog. Uh, that basically allows users to fine-tune their their models again. Um, so these are kind of more like tooling around that, not part of the developer thing, but more like on the, I'd say more like the research and the people who are building these actual AI models around that. Um, there's a few other things like the model as a service, um, inference APIs, which is uh, something that's coming to preview here soon. Uh, they talked about it at the conference a little bit. And this has to do with some foundation models um, like that were coming from Meta and from outside and things like that that are being collaborated in the open source community. And, uh, you know, not having to deal with things like GPUs and things like that. Um, and OneLake uh, is now in preview as a data store for machine learning. Um, so that wraps it up on the uh, uh, machine learning platform. Uh, we ha I mentioned before. Oh, sorry. One thing I wanted to just say, Kale, on that yeah. is that you know the, this model as a service. One of the things I learned about the models is that they are just friggin' huge, right? There are in the I don't know, is it uh, gigabyte size uh, and whatnot. So just you know, for individuals to have to deal with models is maybe a little too much, and that's why you know we're providing some of those models through the model deployment in uh, in uh, in the AI Studio, and also if there are third-party uh, models like the ones you mentioned from Meta, the Llama 2, etc., uh, we can now provide them as a service, right? So that this way they're easily available to use. Otherwise, you have to kind of hassle about you know how am I going to make this model available? How am I going to update it uh, and whatnot? Uh, and, and this kind of takes away some of that. Uh, complexity. <clears throat> yep. I mentioned uh, a little bit there earlier about the AI studio. So Microsoft's launching uh, a preview of what we're calling the unified AI platform, uh, which will be formally called Azure AI studio. And this is basically going to allow uh, developers uh, more tooling around how to to shape these things and kind of build these. It's being designed, as you can tell from a when we say unified AI platform is kind of a 
one side one one shop stop for the tooling right so it allows you to not only be able to build these things but test and deploy those um you know basically this is kind of more for developers it also allows users to like pick backends like you know from fabric and the ai search all kinds of different like components that we have inside of azure so think of this uh, and this is going in preview by the way as i mentioned uh, think of this as the kind of one place you'll go in the future to help build um you know things in ai uh, that we're talking about here and this again is using the, the copilot stuff is inside of there uh, you know, there's customization in there with tools and models and the things Sajit was just mentioned about. So just think about that, bringing that all together. That's that's where you're going to go. Something else um, that's important that we've been talking about a lot at Microsoft is the, kind of the next thing here was around uh, what we call CCC, which is the customer copyright commitment. And this has to do with around basically being able to handle you know, copyright infringement that takes about when we start talking about copilots and AI and these different types of services, when you think about it, AI is built on top of these models that's using some of this data that may be under copyright, you know, things and other kind of regulatory pieces around those, um, that information. And so this is something that Microsoft's uh, been pretty passionate about making sure that we do this right. Um, so it has, it, Ignite, they announced the expansion of this uh, customer copyright commitment um, to customers that are using our OpenAI service. Um, so basically, um, I think in a nutshell, this boils down to some new documentation uh, around the technical bits when people were actually doing this to mitigate any problems or, or risks around you know, copyright infringement or this kind of content violations that could happen. Uh, this is also part of the Azure AI content safety, uh, which is now generally available. And again, this helps detect and, and, and fix anything around the content and on, online experiences people are using with the AI uh, services that we have. Yeah, with with this one, I wonder if this is uh, comes into play when you use, um, uh, like, you know, when you if, if if you're inferring over your own data, right? Then your data is hopefully already pretty clean, so there's not going to be that that conflict. I think this is coming when we do a hybrid search, right? Where you take yep. your data and and do a hybrid uh, overlap with uh, with what's uh, maybe the the Bing crawler uh, has provided, and, and that together. Uh, May, uh, may cause a problem or whatever uh, the GPT-4 model already has uh, picked up and you know, been restrained. Yeah, as you said, when it's all inside your four walls, all your data, obviously there's no issue there, but it's public data, right? When you start bringing in things that are uh, you don't necessarily own, right? Yep. Um, moving on here, uh, there's a bunch more here. The AI vision is more around, and we've had this stuff for a while uh, with uh, the the kind of vision tools, what did they call that before? Uh, it used to be cognitive services. Cognitive, it was cognitive all services. under that bucket. Yeah. I think they've kind of moved all of that slowly under AI now. Uh, yeah. They're all they're all machine slowly. learning models anyways. Huh? <laughs> slowly? <laughs> slowly. <laughs> yeah, it this time it was. They just uh, rebranded them overnight. Yeah, yes, it wasn't exactly. all that slow. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the the fact is they've been out there for a while. I mean, it's been years, right? Uh, with uh, with those tooling out there, and I'm sure they've, you know, over the years have have gotten better. Obviously, as AI has exponentially gotten, you know, higher fidelity and and better things with it. But you know, some new updates to specifically to the vision piece, which deals with around, you know, analysis of images and text and like OCR type stuff, facial recognition, those kind of things around imaging. So basically, there's been uh, some updates to the vision SDK, obviously. Um, and this is, you know, you can read about it, we can, we're going to link to these kind of things. But basically, it's to recognize and prevent some of the spoofing attacks and things that are going on uh, in there. And they lay out some of the specs around that. There's a new API, I think, I don't know the version numbers at this point, but the, it's called Image Analysis 4.0, uh, which basically is around the OCR, object detection, those types of things. So that's generally available now. So this Image Analysis 4.0, which gives more enhanced OCR uh, and better you know, accuracy, things like that. And then there's the uh, this Florence Foundation model, which has been trained with a lot of you know text image pairs around like you know recognizing what an image is and what the text that goes along with that is. I think it's in the billions uh, that this thing's been done. So back to Sujit's point about these models being huge, uh, this is a model that's being used for the vision tool um, that's also GA uh, as this release. 
I, I read somewhere, I heard somewhere that uh, the, it was, you know, the capture tool that we all used before for, for when we try to lo log into websites or something, you know, it asks mm -hmm. you to enter. So that actually is offered, that was, uh, that the results of those capture tools have been used to train some of these models as well, because they, people have actually entered it in. And so they actually have a real uh, feedback on what, you know, what that number should look like. And so the, uh, a lot of that goes into training some of these models here. So, uh, so we we were actually training it all. We, we yeah, we've all been training. It feels like the Matrix a little bit, yeah, but yeah, uh, 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 you know, uh, Kayla, I can cover some of these next sections over sure. here uh, yeah. on on Dali. So I think yeah, so Dali three. Uh, this is the next evolution of our image generation. Uh, you just provide text, and uh, it'll you know create uh, uh, an image uh, that represents what you've asked for. Uh, uh, of course, uh, GPT 3.5 uh, Turbo and uh, is now expanded to 16K tokens, so that allows some more uh, kind of enhanced uh, uh, data sets uh, to be analyzed uh, or to be uh, inferred over. Also, GPT 4 uh, is uh, available. Uh, that's the latest uh, uh, LLM model that we have. And interestingly, now GPT 4 can be combined with that AI vision service that you just talked about, uh, Kel. And so when you kind of combine the two, you get some nice magic. Like, for example, it can provide images that are related to the text that you're asking for, right? So you, you give like a nice multimodal uh, output uh, for the user. And of course, the GPT 4 updates are, you know, keep coming along uh, uh, fast and furiously. Uh, of course, uh, you know, developers are all looking to take advantage of this. And so uh, there's uh, uh, you, you, you can program these uh, models in all sorts of languages these days. Uh, Python is obviously the most uh, uh, popular one, but there's, you know, uh, all the other languages are supported as well. Uh, let's see, uh, what else uh, we got here? There's a whole lot over here. Um, uh, the AI video indexer, uh, uh, that's one. I think we've had the, that on them on the on the show before, right? I believe. Yep. Uh, uh, and so that's been kind of enhanced now, uh, it, essentially taking advantage of uh, the uh, the Gen AI to create summaries of videos, right? So you have the video to text, and then you can summarize it uh, for you. So it uses the LLM for that, and also use the LLM to kind of search for video content, right? If you want to search for uh, something that happened in the video, uh, you can actually search for uh, for that uh, using. So so that it's first a, one, yeah. that first one's not like closed captioning. It's more like it's looking at the video and describing it back to you in text form. Yeah, yeah, it's it's oh, it's a fine certain uh, like uh, you know maybe there was a sign in one of the videos yep. or, or something yep. like that, right? Uh, it can kind of extract some of the text from there uh, and yep. provide some more context. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, what about AI, AI search? Have any of you guys used that? Uh, the, or the cognitive search? It used to be called you know cognitive search. Uh, we've been doing a lot of work uh, with it, uh, and it's it's really come a long way. I think uh, you know, search service has always been, you know, you just give it a best bunch of documents, it will index it, and then you can quickly search them, right? They've added vector search to that, right? Which is the new thing. And so by using vector search, now you can now search search uh, uh, search uh, the um, uh, the index using uh, the nearest neighbor algorithm of you know one of the uh, the LLM uh, um, the embedding model. So you create an embedding and you say, okay, you know, I'm looking for things that match these set of embeddings. And so then using that uh, uh, the nearest neighbor uh, search uh, algorithm uh, or whatever the algorithm you decide, it will find uh, all the uh, documents that match you and match yours. So it's supposed to be a little more. Um, it gives you results that are uh, more than just keyword uh, searches, right? It gives you results that are contextual to what you're typing and understands kind of the text and gives you results that are uh, a little more meaningful, especially if you add the semantic uh, re-ranker or the ranker on top of it, uh, it'll re-rank the, uh, the, uh, the results um, and give priority to the ones that are most likely to, uh, to, to kind of meet your need there. And, and this vector stuff scales better, is that right? Like from what I understand, it's faster, like more efficient, those kind of things, it scales better. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, vector search is 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 fast, but at the same time, uh, because it's doing the embedding model, it's also more complex, right? It has to, so, so that's part of the thing. It, it is going to need that access to the ADA 
embedding model, right? Uh, to to be able to convert those uh, the text to uh, to embeddings, pass the embeddings to the vector search uh, system, and then get the results back from. Uh, fortunately, the vector search in Azure is is kind of it's built in. It's a uh, it's it's uh, there's no additional cost for it other than the normal uh, search costs. Uh, but you know you still have to make that call to the vector search. And uh, yeah, I think it's. Uh, it's pretty fast that way. It's just that you're going to have that additional uh, hop for creating the embedding. So you're going to have to make that call to the Atom model to do that. Cool. So this makes the rag pattern better, right? This makes the, the rag, rag pattern. Yeah, exactly. Yes, right. especially when you have your own data, right? This is most most relevant if you're if you're trying to reason over your own data. Uh, so right. you you kind of ingest that data into Azure Cognitive Search using whatever indexer uh, mechanism you want to through Blob Storage, Cosmos DB, SQL, etc. And now you can do all these queries from the from the uh, uh, from the uh, chat prompt, right? Uh, the the rag uh, the Gen AI prompt or whatever you want to call that. Uh, where you get the input from the user, you convert the embeddings, do the query, and then uh, right. get the results back. And that is the bulk of what I'm seeing my customers doing at this point, putting that forward. And I grinned because you said reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No worries. Then, uh, I mean, yeah, go ahead, uh, Cal. Yeah, I was going to say, we got a lot to cover here, but the um, I just wanted to touch on two things on the compute side, if we can move on to that. Sure. Um, just real quickly on that, just two updates here, and these are mostly around uh, the actual virtual machine compute. So there's uh, the latest AMD uh, VMs that are built on this Epic processor. Uh, so this is the fourth generation now. Um, basically, there's a preview for the D, E, and F VM series. I know there's so many in the alphabet here now that we have, but that's generally been around like figuring out exactly what your workload is and like what you need to be optimized for and these expand on that right so basically you have stuff that's more this is mostly around memory to core count um so if you need something that like needs a lot more memory but less cores like less compute but actually more memory heavy then there's stuff that's more you know medium based and then there's stuff that goes the opposite way where you have more compute versus memory uh where you have that kind of scenario and there's a couple different SKUs inside of each one of those letters i mentioned um we'll, we'll put the, the link out there for that but basically uh amd's been you know expanding in azure we originally had all intel stuff right and then uh, the amd stuff came along i think we had the last time the third generation epic processors these are now the fourth generation and again just giving more flexibility so you can kind of size exactly what you need for your uh, application size and keep it in budget you know do, do customers actually care or really ask for a specific cpu i don't know. I wonder often if they if they really care at that level I think it depends on what you're doing. I'll let Mark comment there too. But like, you know, for some applications, you know, I see a lot of that where like people don't care as much to what Sajid's saying more like they have some limits around like how much memory they need or how much CPU they need generally. Uh, but then a lot of things can fill that void, right? But then there's some that are like, especially when you get into AI and things like this, where that could end up costing you a lot of money, uh, especially if you're spinning up a bunch of VMs and things like that, if you're not using like platform services type stuff. And in that case, it does make a big difference, right, from a cost perspective to know so exactly. Right. Yeah. So that's the key. These are lower cost SKUs? Yeah. 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 It's fine. I started my sales career with Intel, and AMD was always that, you know, in second place. And it's kind of sad <laughs> to me to see that, yeah, we're, we're introducing AMD-specific SKUs because they're cheaper, which has <laughs> kind of been, that's been their story for, you know, for 30 years. So, um, but yeah, that would be the only thing I would see is if you... If you're really trying to optimize for cost and you can live with whatever the, the the deltas are between the two, then that would make a lot of sense. But that's where they would care. Yep. Then, of course, I spend a lot of time trying to convince people that going into the cloud to save money is not really your ideal scenario. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Uh, one other I thing. Would, on, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, Kayla, I was going to say, uh, in the interest of time, maybe we can jump ahead to yeah, the yeah, yeah. confidential ahead. computing uh, yep. section over here. Yeah. Wait, you don't want to talk about SAP? <laughs> oh, we have some have VMs to. for SAP uh, series. Uh, we'll put it in the links. <laughs> yeah, we, anyway. we've talked about them in the past, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I wanted to, to kind of start. There was a session that Rusinovich did. I think it was actually identified as the third keynote. It's called Inside Microsoft AI Innovations with Mark Rusinovich. Um if you're really into this confidential computing stuff, um, I really recommend you take that in. It's got the AI improvements as well, as you can tell from the title. Um, 
but yeah, he, he his presentation is always top notch and goes into a lot of detail. It's very cool to get into. Um, what I'm observing here is that, you know, we went in to uh, announce the preview with the confidential containers. One huge issue I've had working with customers on architecture is they they want to use namespaces in Kubernetes as a security boundary. And the problem with that is it's not. Um, we are I've, and I've been I've sat through the whole presentation in front of a customer. Um, we are doing the right things to create confidential containers and pods. Um, the caution that I throw out on it is that the level of management effort that goes into it, it particularly if you're trying to migrate an existing application into Kubernetes that's used to being able to talk to whatever it wants to talk to, now you've got all of these barriers in between the pieces of your application. So it's good for migration, but it 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 comes with a cost, as it were, because you have to really your automation gets more complex to deploy this stuff to make sure all the paths that you need connected are there. Um, but it will fill this need that particularly a lot of ISVs are going through uh, right now. Um, and then in general, like I said, I'm going to defer to Mark's presentation on, on most of this stuff. Um, the CPU itself has been a big gap in the in the secure security story because, you know, basically for a CPU to work with something, it's got to get decrypted. Um, and if you can get in there, the techniques that that Intel and others are building into the processors now, it still winds up decrypted inside. It's just way harder to get in there and you can make sure that the, the data is coming from from who you thought. Um, and that's that to me was the big thing. The the containers one was the big deal for me in the uh, in the CI realm. And, and is the focus on confidential compute? Is that coming more from because uh, you know the cloud is generally multi-tenanted and people want their own little carved uh, secure space, yeah. or is it more they want more security even in that realm? <clears throat> um, yeah, once a good word. Um, it's for instance, I've been and. Um, talking to some people about man in the middle attacks, people who know more about security than I do. And um, I was like, anybody ever doc documented an actual man in the middle attack? Okay, I can't find it. And there was a guy who said, yeah, I know where it is. And then I went back to him and I said, do you have that? And he goes, oh, I can't find it. So there's a lot of theoretical security vulnerabilities um, whereas the big security vulnerability seems to be mm, unpatched servers when we've actually discovered an exploit. Um, but to your point, yes, a lot of customers want this capability. From a theoretical perspective, like I was saying before, the data is not, it's in the clear when it's inside the CPU. And if you compromise the CPU, you've got the data at that point. So that's the super secure people. The challenge I have with it is that it starts to distort Azure more and more to try to add these capabilities and manage these capabilities. And, you know, if your attack surface is, you know, is really, really tiny, is it worth what you're doing there? But for the people who want it, we now have it. Yes, Kale? Yeah, just to add one thing on to the confidential compute, uh, the containers piece, um, it, it kind of dovetails about the AMD piece, right? So historically so these are using these enclaves right inside the uh, vms to do this kind of stuff historically intel has been kind of the one who started that right with the sgx uh, processors that they did these are powered by the stuff that you'll see in these confidential containers um things so basically it's kubernetes and underneath the the vm scale set the vms that are actually powering it are running this a these amd processors that have this sev uh capability which is similar uh, in concept to what uh, SGX was, but it's different, right? So the big difference being SGX was more like app level, right? So I build my application with these APIs that and mm -hmm. Intel has these specific hooks in there for me to say, hey, I'm going to talk to this thing in the enclave and then I'm going to do something and get it back out. So we have the host and we have the enclave where the AMD ones like the whole VM, right? And that's what makes it you know, compelling for something like Kubernetes, because the whole VM now has, is the enclave, right? Like thing is protected mm -hmm. that way, as opposed to just the app level. I just wanted to like let our users know or, or listeners about that. Sure. Right. But again, the complexity, right? Of oh, yeah. Managing all of that. Yep. All right. Yeah, I think we've got a lot more. So let's jump into some of the data highlights real quick over here. Um, yeah. So there's a uh, you know, couple of uh, Bunch of shortcuts that have been created. So our data uh, strategy is also around around uh, uh, fabric now. Uh, so that's that's the big the big term. And under fabric, we have all the uh, the data capabilities. 
Uh, they've created these shortcuts to help us connect to, for example, Amazon S3 buckets from from our data lakes here, or also uh, expose the the buckets uh, the 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 data lake to uh, other uh, clouds itself. So they want to make sure that the connection is both ways. So the shortcuts that are being made available. They've lowered some of the pricing for Azure SQL uh, database, especially on the uh, on the hyperscale compute uh, uh, layer. And uh, so Managed SQL now also has a free trial offer available. Uh, it used to be uh, just for the regular SQL, but now uh, Managed SQL has it as well. Uh, and let's see what else we got here. I'm just going to run through some of these things real quick. Uh, yeah, we talked about uh, the Fabric being the new uh, all-in-one uh, system for data. Uh, let's see. They've got the the Microsoft Copilot for uh, for uh, for Azure Cosmos DB uh, now available. So uh, you could point your uh, Copilot to your Cosmos DB database, and it can kind of answer all sorts of questions uh, about what you got in there. Um, also, there is the Cosmos DB from MongoDB now. So if you you know if you want to uh, make it look like you have a MongoDB database, you could. You can kind of do that. Uh, and um, we talked about vector search in Azure Cognitive Search. It's also available in Cosmos DB now. Cosmos DB is also a vector search database. Uh, so uh, a lot of uh, different options our users have uh, for uh, in terms of data and databases. Uh, let's see what else is of interest over here. Uh, yep, we've got new uh, uh, Azure Postgres uh, SQL, which we're seeing a lot of. A lot of my customers use Postgres SQL in Azure. Uh, they seem to love it, and they're putting a lot more effort into that, more performance, more scalability options, uh, which is great. And also, there is an extension for Postgres SQL for Azure AI as well. And so you could kind of uh, you know point your uh, LLMs to it, uh, to, to the Postgres SQL, and uh, do also fun things with it. So I'm glad that 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 is continuing to be rolled out. Um, what is Azure Boost? I just saw this over. Anyone know about this Azure Boost? Uh, it says, oh. uh, <clears throat> sorry, it oh, enables greater network and storage performance at scale. Oh yes, Mark talks about that in his. It's it's hardware hardware assist hardware for assist. storage and networking. It's pretty impressive. He 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 runs a quick demo to show you the improvement. It's like five x performance improvement. So and it also a lot of the existing infrastructure storage is the easy one because you run through a virtual driver that then runs out to the physical device. Once that's established now with these hardware paths, you can actually go right from the VM directly to the physical device, but it's all still virtualized. It's just being assisted by the hardware networking. Something similar. So that, that's something different from the, uh, like we had some network uh, performance uh, enhancements with specific VMs in the past using FPGAs. Uh, right. Kind of yeah, it's the stuff, same same ID. Yeah. It's just that it's the new one, and I guess we put a brand on it. I got gotcha. you. That's cool. how we roll. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like the name Boost. Yeah, it's all, it, who yeah. doesn't? Yeah, it's Boost? good. It it actually fits. Yeah. So <laughs> about the time everyone's using it, I guess it'll be time to change it. But for now, we'll run with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, again, Azure Chaos Studio, uh, which we've talked about before, uh, is finally in uh, GA. Uh, and so, uh, you know, all of those experiments uh, are available for customers to use. Uh, and, and you can go in the portal and uh, try and see if your infrastructure and your applications are resilient. So that's good to see. Uh, okay. That's in which so, section? Where are we looking at that? Uh, that went, that was down in um, oh, okay. management. Down. 1.6.2. Yeah, more like operations. Right. Yeah. There were some other operational related things. Anything that you guys want to touch on before well, I move before on to you DevOps do that, and data? And dev? Let me do the infra thing real quick. Um, yeah. In two different keynotes, we well introduced in the first one and talked about in the second our our new custom ai processor which will be available um in azure going forward um and then mark goes into some of the performance improvements i think if i'm remembering the numbers correctly we've got training gpt3 so to do a training session which used to take i believe weeks now takes four minutes for gpt3 now he didn't wow. have any data for three five and four um but yeah, the, we are definitely throwing, you know, I don't want to, throwing hardware is like a pejorative, but we are, we are optimizing the hardware to, to, to solve some of these hard problems because the deficiency with GPT, it, it'll always tell you, right, that I was last trained at whatever time 
And, you know, the because we were looking at uh, September of 21 for all the data, which if you were a developer, like I think we all are, you know, .NET 6 and 7 were both came out after that training date. Um, so to get these training times down to something practical will impact the usability of the tools. Right. So I wanted that, to throw that in there. Does that, so uh, just maybe you know more about this. So those new processors, they're not something that like people can see in like a VM or something. It's only platform like level services is where they'll get those enhancements. Be um, able to use I'm, these not, and, yeah. I'm not clear on that because it's, yeah, they are not. optimized for AI and we have a lot of customers doing AI workloads. So I'm not sure that we would, limited to just us, I think was what you're implying there, right? Yeah, I thought, and it wasn't on a Microsoft site. I think this was on an external site when I, when that announcement was made, I think it was like a month ago or something like publicly about these processors. It, it mentioned something about like, it was like in these platform services. So I was like, oh, I, maybe it's like an option you can select in our platforms. I don't know. So maybe we'll have to dig into that in a future podcast. Right, yeah. sure. All right, uh, I'm gonna jump into some of the developer tool updates uh, there's a few of them that might be of interest to our listeners uh, so azure migrate has always been a tool that we've had to allow to make it easy for you to migrate your infrastructure that you have on, on premises to azure uh, and now that's been expanded to also have code and application and mark i'm pretty sure you've seen uh customers who <laughs> go through this cycle about 22. no <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever tried that <laughs> Uh, so apparently this thing uh, will analyze your code and applications and we're going to give you, okay, here's a list of changes you probably want to consider to make it more effective in the cloud or, you know, make it more cloud native or whatever. I suppose .NET and Java, of course, is the you know, primary candidates here. And it's just kind of enhancement over what we used to do with Azure Migrate, which is just infrastructure. Now it's infrastructure, application and code assessments, right. kind of all three in one. Yeah. But I have to comment, my friend. You use the yes, word easy. please do. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> these things make it easier they do not make it easy there's a lot of there's work no to be easy done button to get this here. right there's no easy button as much <laughs> as our customers want it it doesn't exist and it's not going to exist right it's still going to be uh, at least give them an inventory of everything that they have yes I'm hoping exactly it, it does helps. provide like a report right. of some sort they can prioritize and things like that yeah that's right but you know I'm, a, I'm on a crusade to stop with words like easy yeah, yeah. Fair, <laughs> enough, fair enough. Or don't worry about. That's another phrase in the dev run <laughs> that I want to ban. Don't. So the developer doesn't have to worry about. I'm like, yeah, that always turns out well. <laughs> the Azure Container Apps is obviously our big uh, focus these days for uh, for developers to quickly get their containers out there. And they've added, of course, as you can expect, dedicated GPU workload profiles now, so you can run. Uh, Training, uh, training of your data. If you have a container that has that, you can target those uh, profiles. Uh, we've talked about landing zone, uh, landing zones before, and landing zone accelerators. They have one for container apps as well now. So if you are deciding to mm -hmm. use container apps and you want to deploy it in a really secure or uh, kind of lockdown uh, manner, you could use some of these landing zone accelerators. Uh, previously, if you had to get a, your your app uh, to uh, an app uh, container container app. You had to create the container, push it somewhere, and then you know mm -hmm. make it available to uh, to the container apps. Now you don't have to. You can kind of jump start. You can kind of uh, shortcut that. If you have the app, the app can be directly pushed to uh, container apps. And so it does those intermediate steps for you, uh, I guess, uh, as part of the process of creating. So you don't have to worry about it, right? Yeah, so you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> make it easy. You know? <laughs> the problem is. IT pros, that's their job to worry about this stuff. <laughs> exactly. You you, you uh, can worry a little less about it. So we'll, we'll okay, that's that. good. Okay, <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then uh, vector databases are all the race these days, as you all know. And so uh, there's some uh, open source vector databases that are now made available uh, as uh, add-ins uh, to uh, uh, to Azure Container Apps, you can kind of uh, make them available, just like you you, you have uh, plugins and things like that. There's ways to add uh, uh, these vector databases. The ones uh, recommend suggested are Qdrent, uh, Milvus, and Viviate. Uh, uh, can't say I've used any of them. Uh, Azure def uh, deployment environments. Uh, these uh, that's another uh, nice service that Azure has. Uh, quickly, you can create these pre-built ARM templates, which have been uh, vetted and everything, and users can you know spin up and spin down these environments as they need to. Uh, and 
one thing that you know we've always had the Azure Developer CLI, the AZ AZD CLI, which mm-hmm. is the Azure Developer CLI available to us, which did something similar from the developer perspective, right? You could create this YAML file with some dependencies, and it would then kind of you know push this thing to uh, to Azure. So they've kind of combined the two services now, so you can actually use the AZD. To, to deploy to uh, an Azure deployment environment, right? So uh, your uh, kind of the the two concepts are merged because they sort of do the same thing uh, from different perspectives. One does it more from a developer perspective. The other one does it more from a, maybe somebody who's at the portal that want to do from an infrastructure perspective. Uh, and uh, and also what they've added to do with these AD, with this development environment the deployment environments, you can auto expire them now. Uh, so you know, very often you 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 kind of spin it up and you forget it's there. It's just uh, burning CPU and costing money. It'll automatically get deleted after a particular time. Uh, .NET 8 came out uh, just, uh, just earlier this week. I saw the uh, the announcement and uh, been digging into it. A lot of uh, great updates uh, from Gaurav. Uh, he sent out that uh, that, that lovely uh, blog post. Uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. But uh, you know that's now available in Azure Functions, both for Windows and Linux. So it's really nice that they they move fast on that. Is this the and, first uh, time we did zero delay? There was no lag. There was no lag time on it. It seems seems like that. Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah. It's, I know that is a, that's been a, an ask in the function space for a while. So yeah, if we've got that workflow worked out, that's a good thing. Indeed. Yep. And uh, you know, when you come to functions, they've always had the serverless option, and then they had the uh, kind of you know the self-host, like the the right. the option where you have all of the bells and whistles. Uh, but now they've got this one sort of like a hybrid of both, right? They've called it the flex consumption plan. So it's a it's a it's a serverless consumption plan, but it still gives you things like you know your private um, private uh, endpoints, uh, availability zones, uh, things like that, right? So you can kind of get a little bit of the best of both worlds, so to speak. You know, you don't have to pay for that dedicated uh, plan, uh, app service plan. You still can get pay as you go, but you still get some of the features uh, that you would like so to it's have. So it's isolated. It's an isolated environment. Within. It's an isolated from a networking perspective, but the compute and all is still dynamically kind of wired up as you need it. Yeah. Uh, good. Yeah. So that's it. And then um, uh, AKS. Uh, uh, of course, uh, all the all of the development these days is in AKS as well as our uh, AI development. Like uh, we talked about comp- uh, container apps, but uh, most of our customers use AKS uh, for for security reasons. They prefer uh, that posture uh, currently. And so there is the new Kubernetes AI toolchain operator, which is released for AKS. And that lets you kind of give you like commands, easy commands. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't just use the word easy. Uh, <laughs> Convenient commands, <laughs> uh, convenient commands commands to to deploy <laughs> uh, specific uh, you know LLM models and manage them uh, on your cluster, make them available uh, to applications, etc. And, and what this does do, uh, uh, one of the kind of benefits of, uh, ma- of using AKS for this is that you know demand for the GPU VMs is very very high these days, right? And very often you're not going to get the uh, the CPUs that have high number of uh, or the larger GPUs, uh, but you do get um, the availability for uh, CPUs with a lower number of GPUs is is fairly uh, uh, available across regions. And, and now you can kind of so you can kind of use AKS to say, okay, I want like you know a node a node pool of like a hundred nodes, uh, you know, spread across all these low level GPUs, and then kind of spread your your training or whatever across all of them, right? So that's the kind of workaround. Uh, to 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 the uh, to the GPU demand problem these days. Uh, so yep. And then AKS also has this thing called Fleet Manager. Again, if you have a lot of AKS clusters, you're going to quickly lose the sight of you know what version of software is deployed where. And so the Fleet Manager lets you manage that from a central perspective, right? It says, okay, if the, uh, you know, I want this particular Helm chart, you know, to make sure that it's deployed across all these uh, clusters. And if there's an update, it gets kind of, you know, you know, it's updated across all of them. It's not like, you know, some of them got updated and some of them are on the old version and whatnot. So it kind of does that uh, uh, very de- deterministic rollout of updates across all of your AKS clusters. Any thoughts on that, uh, Mark? On you know, how how what are you seeing on AKS uh, and just generally out there? A mess, chaos. It's a lot of chaos uh, in there. Yeah. There's, there's, and you and I have been talking about this for years, right? That mm-hmm. 
you know, it, it's, it's kind of where and I've gotten this. Yeah, why are you doing AKS? Well, because isn't that what everyone's doing now, which mm-hmm. is not a great reason to pick a technology. And then I'm still seeing it as I mean, it's a technology containers to start with, which are fundamentally about, you know, application architectures and, and the needs of developers. And then in the enterprise, it gets yanked by the infra teams, which is fine if the two teams are collaborating. Um, and I'll comment at the end on, you know, with the platform engineering and DevOps and all that. Um, and it's gone exactly where we expect. It's it's way too complex. It's just another abstraction layer that's just jack the complexity up. And so things like um, the what, what, what were you just calling it? The uh, the command center thing. Sorry. Fleet, fleet um, manager. Fleet manager. Thank you. Fleet just, yeah, just what the, no, the fleet manager. Yeah, it's a necessary thing. Once you've generated all this complexity, now we need another tool to try to pull it together. And it's good that we have it. I would encourage everyone to use this as a starting point, but then really work hard on on simplifying, not making simple, but <laughs> simplifying your environment as much as you can. Um, I'm still kind of stunned whether I'm looking at code or whether I'm looking at infrastructure, that people can look at that while it's still on the whiteboard and not go, mm, no, there has to be a better way. They just plunge ahead with this ridiculous level of complexity. So I don't know if that's what you were expecting me to say, but that's my comment on this concept You know that Fleet Manager is trying to address. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think uh, customers, <clears throat> For, you know, just by consensus, they feel like, okay, containers and Kubernetes is the way to go. And now they're trying to uh, kind of restructure their entire organizations and uh, IT departments around that, uh, which uh, at least, you know, we're, we're, we're supporting them in that journey. So I hope that yeah. helps. By the way, fun fact, because <clears throat> I've been around Azure for a long time. And, you know, we had in the beginning, we had one, two, four and eight core VMs. That was it. And somehow we squeeze that half half core thing in there, the A0. Um, and I ha- I don't look at VMs because it's not my space. So recently I did get pulled into a conversation, ironically, around Kubernetes. And I was like, do we even have the small core SKUs anymore? And we do. But I would love to see some statistics on how many of those actually get deployed. Who's using them? Because, you know, that's the conversation you and I had around the time Kubernetes was coming up is, you know, there are a lot of workloads put it in a one or two core you know, VM, keep your costs way down and do the granularity. But no, now we're doing that same exercise, what we're doing it using Kubernetes and the challenges that go with that. But yeah, that was something right. I went so through recently. You're talking about like the, the auto scaling of these uh, these node pools and whatnot. If you use the smaller SKUs, uh, scaling them out, is that what you're referring to? Even yeah. if you're doing it within a Kubernetes context, yes. But then, right. you know, the, another term that's driving me up the wall is T-shirt sizing. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of how I got into the looking at the VM core count, mm-hmm. you know, because basically your your typical enterprise IT department will say you can use this one, this one, and yes, this one, but there are 10 of them that you could have chosen from, but they've decided these are the ones that you can use. And uh, it it just constrains the flexibility of what Azure brings to the table for you. Yep, I agree. All right. Uh, so I want to j- jump on a few more updates here in the dev space. Uh, so MQTT is a protocol that I think has become pretty popular these days with IoT. Uh, you know, uh, we've supported Azure, supported um, AMQP uh, pretty well, and even uh, the the web uh, web sockets uh, for uh, for communication. Not, not not as well as we would like, but now uh, what they've done is they've created this uh, MQTT broker in, event, in Azure Event Grid, and that would mm-hmm. allow uh, like IoT devices, etc., to directly kind of uh, you know send their or at least trigger PubSub uh, uh, notifications uh, through uh, through MQTT, and then that then as a result we can take all that data and you know forward it on to Azure Event Hubs or uh, you know all of the other Azure services because we can just grab it from the MQTT uh, protocol, support uh, version 3.11 and version 5 of the protocol. This does open up, as I said, for all of the IoT devices out there. I think this is big uh, uh, if you're in that realm. Uh, oh, yeah. And then, uh, you know, with, uh, with, uh, with the advent of uh, AI, uh, or Gen AI, of course, uh, let's not forget we have Azure Communication Services, right? It's uh, something I've used that a little bit for, 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 for text messaging, uh, mm-hmm. to offer text messaging and applications, but it also supports speech and call routing. 
And now if you blend the two, now you can do complete, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, automated uh, answering of questions and all through through text. I know it's been around for a long time, but now it's the, because of the uh, advent of uh, of uh, Gen AI, we can kind of uh, do that a lot more intelligently. Like as people are asking for, you know, hey, I have this problem, how do I solve it? Uh, we can kind of uh, really give them the answer they're looking for instead of, you know, diving through multiple level, menu sure. levels and, and, and whatnot. Uh, so, so this is more of like a commodity type service because that seems like that was more bespoke or like something before where customers would want to build something that does that. Now this, we have a couple tools you can kind of layer in there with this communication server and it basically kind of automates that whole thing. Right. It just makes the whole, you know, IVR, uh, all, the, all of that a lot more uh, easier to navigate uh, for end users. Uh, instead of, uh, they could just say, this is what, this is my problem and you probably going to go to the place where your answer is going to be or to the operator, the correct person, course, at least. Of who course, can we always it. just say, give me the operator and then we go that's, through. So Exactly. <laughs> I always yeah. give it a try and then I get irritated and demand to that's speak to That's exactly what I do, too. And you got to figure yeah. out which word, which way you do. You say representative, <laughs> do you say agent? No, no, in all seriousness, uh, it would be interesting to see how this improves on that, because that that is the thing. Mark's 100 percent right. Like people, you kind of game it after a while. You say, what is that keyword it's looking for to do that? And mm-hmm. if we can get to the point where you don't have to guess that, that's awesome. You know, like, you know, like it works. All right. So the last thing I'll mention is on the Azure App Services. I think we've talked about that a little bit. Uh, it's, you know, let's not forget that that's kind of uh, one of our, uh, you know, original uh, services that we had out there. And it's it's been enhanced. Uh, you know, in a few ways. One is it supports now single subnets. So in a single subnet, you can have multiple uh, app services. It used to be that every app service would need its own subnet, and now you can share that subnet. So it makes the kind of you know uh, administration of networking a little easier. A little easier, you notice I said that. Uh, and then uh, web, uh, and then it supports uh, web jobs on the Linux. So web jobs was always something that was only supported on the Windows um, version of App Service. And so now, uh, uh, now you have web jobs on Linux, uh, on the Linux uh, App Services as well. And there are certain, so they've kind of opened up some of those things which are Windows only. It's now made a bit of Linux extensibility support is another one for third-party systems. And the one that I really like as a developer is now uh, gRPC is supported natively in, in app services, right? It's becoming more and more popular as an API uh, uh, surface. Uh, and so uh, glad that we support that first class instead of doing all sorts of hacks otherwise. Yeah, well, for microservices, it's really the way to go. HDB is too heavy for uh, for microservice to microservice communication. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, and that's, you know, Dapper makes uh, it easy too. Yeah, it's it's great for Dapper as well because that that's fit for it. Yep, that's the internal uh, way that Dapper communicates with each other. So yeah, there's of course a bunch of other updates on uh, on Microsoft 365 and 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 another I guess products that are not directly related to Azure, which uh, we'll put a link. Uh, users uh, are are free to go right. and check them out. Uh, but I uh, wanted to cover both of the Azure highlights. Anything else, uh, Mark Kale, that we may have missed and worth noting here? No, I think uh, it's for good. me, yeah, for me personally, there was a uh, new templates in. Uh, the new Visual Studio for .NET 8, where you can just right from the beginning of the of the solution have React and a .NET Core ASP.NET Core backend integrated into the same solution. So uh, that's a, another way that we're and that wasn't the I think there's an Angular template as well. Uh, the React one is both JavaScript and TypeScript. So just in terms of making things easier. Um, you know, out of the out of the box, we've added these kind of capabilities, and it demonstrates the commitment to open source. Yep. And Mark, I just reminded about one thing. You had some thoughts about platform engineering that you wanted to share. Uh, so to me, well, number one, Microsoft is 100% committed to platform engineering at this point. I'm still trying to suss out how we're defining it. You know, if you know, that's my whole thing going back to the beginning that we just keep defining things. Well, not we, the industry, any given actor chooses to define whatever it is we're, technology we're working with in the way that works for what they're doing. Um, so I suspect our platform et- engineering won't necessarily conform to what's coming out of the um, the Dora reports. Um, but to me, it's a continuum from DevOps to SRE, now to platform engineering. In my experience with customers, I'm kicking back on the platform engineering thing a little bit because it's being leveraged as a thing that IT uses to constrain what developers 
uh, are able to do with their applications. And I'm, I've started a, an initiative that I call app, um, app architecture first, as opposed to infrastructure first, where, you know, Azure is fundamentally an infrastructure platform, and it's easy for us to talk about the infrastructure first, but we really need to be talking about um, application architectures first, and then build the infrastructure using the building blocks that make sense. And my concern about platform engineering is that enterprise IT shops will use it as a way to constrain what developers are doing rather than engendering what is the most important part of DevOps, which is dev and ops collaborating rather than one side or the other dictating. Mm -hmm. Usually it's IT dictating, or if it's a dev dominated shop, it's build it here, make it work to the IT guys. So, um, and so I don't want more noise and I'm a little concerned about more noise in the air around platform engineering when the primary goal of getting dev and ops to collaborate better is really what we need to be focused on. So, yeah, I mean, and of course, we still uh, have to worry about things like being secure and compliant and managing costs and all the right. So I, I know like, you know, developers will put out, will, will want an architecture that maybe sound uh, comes out to be a little more grandiose or uh, maybe maybe not possible to deploy, uh, you know, using uh, using a secure environment. But, but that's the root of me kicking back against not worry about developers don't need to worry about. Okay, yeah, they do. (laughs) Because when you're building an application, if you don't worry about it, then the infra guys have to do all this other stuff. Correct. And now all of a sudden you're constrained. So the collaboration is key so that you can talk about what needs to be done and why it needs to be done. And then you figure out the best how um, rather than one side or the other dominating. So that's that's my thinking on that. But as Dennis uh, Miller says, but that's just my opinion. I could be wrong. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're right, Mark. Uh, but thanks again for all the insights uh, today. And Hale, thanks for covering uh, all of the uh, the compute topics uh, in our Azure roundup today. Yeah, but, thanks for uh, listening, we'll, everybody. It's This has been yeah. a marathon. This is a big one. It's uh, a bit of a long <laughs> episode, uh, this one, but we had a lot to cover and we still didn't get through all of them. <laughs> yep. All right. all right. It was fun, as always. Talk to you next time. Okay. Thank you for listening to the show. If you have any thoughts, questions, or just want to connect, find us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Background music has been taken from ccmixer.org under the Creative Commons license. We hope you'll tune in again soon to keep learning with us.